today we're uh, going to continue on in our Galatians series a little bit here. And I had Tanner read this uh, verse from Psalm 105, which, which kind of tells the story of Israel leaving Egypt. When God finally heard the people of Israel and led them out from slavery into freedom. Uh, the moment that God keeps his promises. And so I titled today's sermon, Promises, Promises, right? This is a, a phrase that a lot of people uh, have learned over the years. It's one of those things that we, that we talk about. We make promises in our lives all the time. My kids will often ask me, do you promise? They'll ask me something. Most of the time the answer is no. <laughs> Sometimes it's maybe, now, and I've got to explain to them, Maybe does not mean yes, but not right now. Because they'll say, hey, can we have dessert? And I'm like, maybe. And then about an hour later, they're like, well, you said we could. And I'm like, no, no, no. I said maybe. I did not say yes. I did not say no. I really kind of meant it in the middle. Now, as kids, they generally hear it as yes, but just not right now. Ask me in an hour when I may be in, in a better mood or whatever it might be. But our kids, if you ever break a promise, right, that's, that's a terrible thing, terrible thing to do. Because kids will say, but you promised. You, you promised. I want you to think about what was the last promise that you broke? And some of you might have to think like, no, that was just this morning. <laughs> Honey, you look, no, I'm just kidding. Um, that's okay. It's okay. Settle down. We're all friends here. Um, what was the last promise you break? I remember the last promise that I broke. Um, and I'm going to tell you about it today because it uh, involves it. We have this thing every year that's called an anniversary promise. So let me tell you how this anniversary promise works. I'm an awesome gift giver. I just want to put that out there right now. In case you didn't know that about me, amazing. I mean, like next level, right? So very humbly, I accept this award as being the best gift giver. My wife, not so much. So whenever we get to about, usually within a week of our anniversary, which we celebrated 16 years uh, the, uh, on August 12th, so about uh, usually like August 7th, she will realize, she remembers when the dates are, she never forgets dates, but she about, she'll realize, I got five days, and I haven't really put a lot of thought into this, and I don't quite know what's going to go on. So then she comes to me and she says, I'll tell you what, how about we just not get any, get each other anything for the anniversary, okay? And she says, now you've got to promise you're not going to get me anything. I'm like, I can, I don't say this, but I'm like, I can promise not to get you anything else. But from this point, I've, I've usually had the gift for a month. I try to hide it in plain sight because she's not always the most observant. And I just want to see if I can get away with it sometimes. It's a bit of a game. Um, and then whenever we have the anniversary, I'll give her the gift. And then she, she always is like, oh, wow. And then she has a moment of anger, but she's like, we promised not to do this. Uh, and then she gets over it real quick because she likes what I got her again because amazing gift giver. Um, so there, and then she's and she's kept everything that I've ever given her. So that tells you that tells you a lot as well. But I, but we kind of have these little fun, and it's kind of a game between us. It's just the way we are, and we accept that about each other. And it's it's just kind of a fun moment. But all of us, whether intentionally or not, we do break promises from time to time. What I would say is we have good intent when we make promises. Nobody, I mean, unless you're just kind of a psychopath, if you make a promise, generally speaking, we actually think that we're going to be able to do what we, what we said we were going to do. There is good intent behind what we say. Now, sometimes circumstances change. Sometimes things change, and we're not able to keep our promises. 
And sometimes that's allowed. But most of us have good intent when we make promises because we learn that promises matter. If you make a promise to somebody, it matters. They will remember a promise, especially your children. But you said we could. You promised that we would do that. And when you break your promises, people, you can still remember promises that were broken to you from 25 or 35 or 45 years ago. People remember when promises are broken because promises matter. In Psalm 105, we see that God made the people of Israel promises. And when he said, I will never abandon you and I will be there, what Psalm 105 is, is a culmination of the promises of God. He led them out. He took care of them. He kept them warm and safe. He fed them. He gave them something to drink. And ultimately, he will give them the promised land. God made promises. And promises matter. But actions to those promises also matter. You can't just live your life making promises to everybody and not keeping any of them. You've got to learn as people. This is what we've got to tell our kids, even with with things. We we committed to doing this. Now something else has come along. We need to stay committed to what we've done because we made a promise. We made a covenant. We made a vow with this person, and that matters. That's a big deal, and our actions need to support that. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, the one thing that you will see, even though, is that God keeps his promises. It doesn't always seem that way. Sometimes you read the story and you're like, okay, God, any moment you want to show up, and maybe this is true for you. You've prayed about something, and you believe God has said, this will be yours. You will have this. This is something that I'm going to do in your life. And then you wait, and you wait, and you wait some more, and you think, okay, God, any moment you want to show up would be great because you said you'd keep this promise, and I don't feel like you're keeping this promise right now. But God keeps his promises. Now, sometimes we can't, we can't fathom time because we have limited amounts of it, and we only have our own perspective. In the Bible, just to give you some background, there is this number that comes up several times. It's the number 430 years, which is a long period of time. None of us in this room are that old or will even come close to that number. But what that is talking about is there is a time, what we talked about last week in Gal- first part of Galatians 3, God makes a promise to Abraham that his, that his seed, that his generations behind him will be abundant and that God will keep his promise with those generations. And then you have Abraham having two sons, you know, uh, he has, you know, I, well, he has son Isaac, but also Ishmael. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then there's a great story that you learn in Sunday school about how they steal things from each other and break promises. And then, you know, Jacob receives the blessing, even though it's supposed to be his brothers. And then he has 12 sons and Joseph is one of those 12 sons. And then all the other sons deceive Jacob, but we're not surprised because Jacob is a deceiver by nature. And then Joseph, and they sell him into slavery. You remember this whole story. It's from Genesis 22 all the way to the end of Genesis chapter 50. It's all this story. And at the end of Genesis 50, you have Joseph and Jacob, father and son, being reunited in Egypt and living in abundance. And then you turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, and it says, there was a king that arose who did not know Joseph or Jacob or their story. Probably a coup, probably some military leader that killed the Pharaoh and and assumed the throne. And then we have this, this time of slavery in Egypt. And from the time of Abraham to the time that God fulfills what we read in Psalm 105 takes 430 years. It's a long period of time. Too long for us, but we are not, we do not have the mind of God. 
Now, I'm going to tell you today that Galatians 15 to almost the end of uh, Galatians 3, verse 15 to almost the end of chapter 3 is a very difficult text. And I want to kind of tell you a secret what pastors do with difficult texts. Okay? So if you've been a pastor for any length of time, this is what you do. You read it, and you go, hmm, I don't really like that. So then you get on your Bible app, and you start looking at different translations. Okay? Anytime a pastor gets up and says, hey, I'm going to read this out of a different translation today, it means he's trying to avoid something. And then usually at the end of that, he'll say, well, you know, let's just reflect. Why don't you guys see what you hear out of this text? Instead of me telling you today, why don't you just see what you see out of this text? Uh, and, then we'll say, and then we'll just pray after that. So today I'd like to read out of the message. Um, <laughs> I'm serious, though. <laughs> and then we'll just pray and then we'll go. It is, it is a difficult text. I want you to hear that. It is a tough text. It's kind of hard to understand. And the message is a great um, kind of a narrative translating in maybe more colloquial terms um, what, what this text is all about. But Paul writes these letters to the church. He says, friends, let me give you an example from everyday affairs of the free life that I am talking about. He's talking about life in Christ. Once a person's will has been ratified, no one else can annul it or add to it. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his descendants. You will observe that scripture in the careful language of a legal document does not say to descendants referring to everybody in general, but to your descendants, referring to Christ. This is the way that I interpret them. A will earlier ratified by God is not annulled by an addendum attached 430 years later. He's talking about a promise that was made to Abraham is not somehow undone by the time we get to the Exodus, thereby negating the promise of the will. No, this addendum with its instructions and regulations, has nothing to do with the promise, the promised inheritance in the will. What is the point, then, of the law, the attached addendum? It was a thoughtful addition to the original covenant promises made to Abraham. Did you hear the language there? He's saying the promise is the big thing. The law that was given to Moses later is the addendum to that promise. But unfortunately, things have gotten out of balance, and we think the law is bigger than the promise. And he's saying that's not the case. What is the point then of the law, the attached addendum? It was a thoughtful addition to the original covenant promises made to Abraham. The purpose of the law was to keep a sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ, the descendant, came, inheriting the promises and distributing them to us. Obviously, this law was not a first-hand encounter with God. It was arranged by angelic messengers through a middleman, Moses. But if there is a middleman, as there was in Sinai, then the people are, dealing, are not dealing directly with God, are they? But the original promise is the direct blessing of God received by faith. If such is the case, is the law then an anti-promise, a negation of God's will for us? Not at all. Its purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we are in ourselves out of right relationship with God and therefore to show us the futility of devising some religious system for getting by our own efforts what we can only get by waiting in faith. 
for God to complete in his promise. For if any kind of rule keeping had power to create life in us, we would certainly have gotten it by this time. Until the time when we were mature enough to respond freely in faith to a living God, we were carefully surrounded and protected by the Mosaic law. The law was like those Greek tutors with which you are familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place that they set out to. By now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start, it was it's also an involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. You can go read this in, in text, and there's some confusing language, but I love the images that are talked about in here, saying God made a promise, and it took a lot of time, and there was a law given, and we sort of, we sort of said the rules are more important than the promise. And Paul is correcting that with the people. He's saying, no, the promise supersedes the law. Because the law couldn't get us there, but the promise can. What he is saying in the midst of this is, listen, promises matter, actions matter, but intent matters as well. Let's talk about intent. Intent is something that we that is, is kind of in our lives all the time in good ways and in bad ways. And I know it's, a, it's, a, it's maybe a sensitive topic this week because there was some tragedy in our community with, with some of our AISD, I, I believe with some of the teachers and stuff. There was, there was some awful things that took place. But if you look up definitions of murder, which I did this week, and I, somebody's going to flag my Google search. Why is he looking these things up, you know, right after his anniversary? I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> But first-degree murder is the intent to kill, the premeditated or predetermined intent to kill. Second-degree murder is non-premeditated but still intent to kill. Third-degree murder, also known as manslaughter, uh, and if I get this wrong, those law people out there, you can correct me. But, but what, what it is, it, it's intent to do harm but not intent to kill. And there's all these different things that happen in the midst of this story. But what, what the law is actually saying is the intent of why we do things is important. You've you got to know if people have intent. And when God gives his promise, he says, I intend for you to be brought back to me. And yes, there's going to be this, this temporary thing in the middle called the law. But my intent is always for you to be people of promise. You know, in life, we learn, and maybe we teach our kids, that where we go is, is as important as why we go. Wh where we're heading is as important as, as why we're going that way. Our intentions matter. They're a big deal. And if we wake up in the morning with an intent to sort of leave our faith on the side, it'll stay on the side. If we feel like we're far from God and away from faith, it's easy. It's because we don't intend to be close to him. Because what we learn is our intent of obedience grows from God's promise of blessing. When we start to see the promises of God, especially enacted in Christ, it changes the way that we live. 
when we start with God's promises, it changes the intent of my life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people tend to be kind of selfish. And I think that you can always tell what people's intentions are based on the excuses that they give you for things. I told our, our staff this week, and I'll have to, I, I, I'll be confessional. I said, if one more person tells me that they're busy or tired, I'm just going to slap them right there. I think we've used that excuse enough. Anybody not busy at work? Anybody not tired of running around? Our intent matters. And our intent, unfortunately, often reveals our heart. And when you start with the wrong motive or the wrong end, it's hard to be intentional towards that. It's hard to be, I mean, it's hard to be intentional towards God when we're, when we're, when we're locked in the selfish circle. But when we start to say, I receive what God has given for me, and I'm going to live my life with an intent towards that, it changes the way that we're obedient. You see, keeping our promises and evaluating our intent is the key to our obedience and ultimate blessings. This is the story we tell people. If you're going to make a promise for Jesus to be central in your life and you're intentional towards that, it's going to change the way that you live because you're not living towards making your next million, you're living towards the ultimate story of being with God forever and making a difference in the world. But we can't have split intents. You see, God's intent is for our obedience. He wants us to be obedient. That was the purpose of the law. Because in doing that, in us being obedient, we would keep his promise of blessing. He was able to bless because they followed what he told them. And he told them flat out, he said, if you guys choose this path, if you go here, there will be immense blessing. God still makes that same promise to us today. If you follow me, if you put me first, as Paul says it, if you clothe yourself with me, you will live a life of blessing. Now that's not talking about, you know, your bank account's gonna soar and everything's gonna go your way. But ultimately, it means that God is able to keep his promises. If we're not in the space where God keeps his promises, it's really hard for him to do that. In fact, he allows there to be boundaries. But Paul wants to remind the people here that we are children of promise, not slaves to law. The Jewish people enslaved themselves with the law. And all that God ever wanted was for them to be children. He's going to talk about that in the next part of the chapter. And so I'm really glad to be getting through this piece. Because what he's about to say next, what Paul is about to say to the church next is huge. What he really is saying is this, God will keep his promises. Do you know why God will keep his promises? He always has, and he always will. So I want to close today. I know the music's been playing, so you're thinking, wow, that's a short sermon. Yeah, I'm only about halfway done now. Um, just kidding. I've got one more story that I want to tell you. 
when you're starting out in uh, seminary training, when you're, when you're uh, in college, uh, one of the things that you, that you have to do is you've got to go to these churches and preach. So sometimes you find these little churches that have, uh, have you know, no pastor, and you go and you, you practice your preaching. And it's probably good because when you're starting out, you're just not that good. You, you just don't know how to do this yet. You're not fully trained yet. And uh, one of the things is you have to kind of do a, a multiplicity of venues. So you've got to go to, you've got to do funerals and maybe a few weddings and a few other things. And that's always, always interesting. I had to go and preach in a maximum security prison a few times. That was an interesting experience, I will tell you. But then one of the ways that you go is you go to what we used to call the old folks home. I think, you know, nursing homes now, rehab centers. I'm not quite sure what all, assisted livings, all those kinds of things. And they usually have kind of a great room, right? And there's usually like, you know, a piano in the corner, and, and, and this is what happens. So sometimes at about 12 or 1 o'clock on a, on a Sunday, a group of us would go and kind of put on a church service for these people that a lot of them couldn't get out, a lot of them weren't super mobile, and, and we would go and we would do a church service with them. You get kind of get in the picture? Okay. And we'd sing a few songs, and then we'd preach, but it didn't really matter because they were just like super glad and appreciative that we were there. And so it really is a great place to kind of hone your skills as a preacher. And I remember, uh, so I'm in my, in my early 20s still. I'm probably 23, 24, and, and kind of just learning, learning who I am. And we went to this, you know, this old folks home. And they kind of wheel everybody in, and you try to, try to talk to them. And half of them, you know, can't hear. A couple of them are already asleep. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting mix of the room. And then they wheel this little old lady in. She's probably late 80s, maybe even 90s. And I remember it was the first time that I'd had an experience when the, the, the worker that kind of wheeled this person in, she's very quiet, very to herself. And I, I remember us going, I remember going over and saying, hi, how are you? And she, she sort of didn't really, didn't really readily respond. And the nurse said, well, she has Alzheimer's, dementia, or I can't remember the exact word. And I, I remember not really knowing what that was. And I think the, the nurse could tell that I didn't really know what that was. And she said, she doesn't really know who she is anymore. She doesn't know her family. She doesn't recognize anything. She really, she really doesn't have a lot of memories left. She, she just, she kind of just, I mean, sadly, she's just kind of here waiting to die. And she sat there. And we'd always kind of sing a song or two. She'd sing a song, and, and we, ne we never had, you know, books or slides or anything like that. And, uh, and half the people would sing. Sometimes they were singing the same song. Sometimes they weren't. It was, it was actually just kind of a cool experience. And then I'd, I'd preach, tell them some stories, and some of them would laugh, and some of them would, you know, doze off and stuff. So it's very much like what I experience every week here. Um, so I'm really used to it. It's no big deal. And then we sang some songs after. And this is when it happened. Sang some songs. She sang every single word of every single song without note. I had just been told that this lady's mind was gone. She sang every single word. Even remember the song. It's an old hymn that we used to sing. It was called At the Cross. And the words of that song started, it said, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Did he devote that sacred head 
for such a one as I. And then the refrain, the chorus said, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the same. Let me tell you something even more interesting about that song. That song was written back in the 1600s by a man named Isaac Watts. He wrote six stanzas to that song, no chorus. And it was in the 1800s that there was this young woman Her name was Fanny Crosby, and she wrote over 8,000 hymns. And she also was a woman who, at the age of three years old, got some kind of illness. It's kind of unclear if it was polio or something else, where she lost her sight at three years old. She was blind. And the funny thing about it is, is that she also was a woman, a blind woman, that no publisher would publish because she was a woman. So she started writing under pseudonym names or gnome de plumes as they're called. And they were all male names. And so if you look up the song, it only has male names on it, but she was the one who added the chorus that said, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. You see, what I experienced at that that nursing home on that day was something profound and provocative. You see, what I came to realize in later years was this. This woman had loved Jesus very well in her life. And her mind had failed. But when we sang those songs, what I realized was the promises of God were not written in her head. The promises of God were written in her heart. And no amount of denigration of her brain would take that away. She could sing those songs word for word, even though she didn't know anybody in her family, even though she didn't know anybody around her, even though she probably forgot her own name most days. Because the Spirit of God and the promise of God was written on her heart. And she had learned a long time ago that God will keep his promises. You know, we're going to sing a song in a second that starts with the line, Christ alone, my hope is found. Let me tell you something. If we started our days with those words every day, in Christ alone, my hope is found. It would have changed the way that we lived our lives. Aren't you glad it's not about you? (laughs) What we should say is, Christ alone. 